Welcome to this verse-by-verse Bible teaching from Calvary Queen Creek in Arizona with Assistant Pastor Darrell Logan. We hope you're blessed by listening. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. For more information, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org. But let's go before the Lord in prayer before we get into the Word of God. Father, we like to give you thanks for your word. We thank you for your spirit. Yes, Lord. We thank you, Lord. Thank you. It's for your presence in this place. Thank you for your presence in our lives. Yes. Lord, your word says that uh, if any of us do not have the spirit of Christ, then we're not his. And so every believer has the spirit of Christ or your spirit, the Holy Spirit. You know, it's different um, names that you know, we can use for your Holy Spirit, but the the truth is, and we're thankful for that, is that your Holy Spirit indwells us as believers, and he's molding us and shaping us into your image, Father, and we thank you for that. We thank you, Lord, for the overflow or the baptism with the Spirit who allows us and helps us to be effective witnesses for you, so we thank you for that as well, Lord, and and we do thank you, um, you know, for this opportunity um, to hear your word and uh, I personally thank you, Lord, and I pray for the gift of teaching and for your strength uh, mentally, physically, emotionally, most of all spiritually. And I pray that all of us will have receptive and open hearts to your word and to the work that you desire to do in us and through us. And thank you for our brothers and sisters. And, and, and even if they're not believers at this time, but they're joining us online, we thank you so much, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So once again, we are in 1 Samuel. That's the book we're going through. We're almost at the end, of course, as you can see. And we are in chapter 27. And the title of the message um, is Living Away From Home. Living Away From Home. Now, you don't have to raise your hand for this or, you know, send me an email or anything. But I I just want to throw the question out there. And the question that I want to throw out there is how many of you have done some crazy things and wish you can have some do-overs in your life? How many of you wish you can have those do-overs? Because of those crazy things, there's plenty of them in my life. I'm, I'm, you know, 43 years old, and there's plenty of crazy things I've done, even before the age of 20. And I'm so thankful that the Lord forgave me of those things. Um, I'm I'm so thankful for God's grace to help me to get over those struggles, whatever they may have been. Thank God for his mercy for not allowing me to uh, get the due uh, judgment or punishment that I truly deserve. But yet and still... I've had those struggles from time to time of wanting those do-overs. And, and of course, just by the fact that some of you chuckled, you didn't even wait till I got the whole question out. As soon as I said crazy things, you laughed, and some of you. But, but I know some of you want those do-overs. But, and in this chapter, now that we're about to really dive in, what we're going to see here is a time in David's life that if he were here with us today, if he were a part of this congregation today, he would probably tell us that he would like a do-over. Because we're going to see David leave Israel. We're going to see him escape to the land of the uh, Philistines. And then, of course, we're going to see a moment he most likely was proud of, wasn't proud of. But we're also going to see some things that we should and should not do. And so, of course, we're going to look at this incident here, this situation that David found himself in by going to the land of the Philistines. And we're going to find those spiritual nuggets. We're going to be open to, or at least that's, that should be our desire, be open to whatever spiritual nuggets God wants us to, to take hold of. And so we want to look at verse 1, where it says, And David said in his heart, or in other words, it it could be said he thought to himself, Now I shall perish someday by the hand of Saul. 
There is nothing better for me than that I should speedily escape to the land of the Philistines. And Saul will despair of me to seek me anymore in any part of Israel, so I shall escape out of his hand. So Saul is going to get tired of looking for me in Israel's territory because, you know, I'm going to be in another land. I'm going to be in the enemy's territory, the Philistine territory. And so based off this first verse in 1 Samuel 27, you can tell that David was just tired. He was sick and tired of running from Saul. And of course, it looks as though he was discouraged. He thought, in fact, that his only option was to go to enemy's territory. That, that's the only thing that can resolve the issue that is in his mind of, of having this man, this king, trying to kill him. And so I'm going to go to the Philistines' territory, and I'm going to find refuge or protection. That, that was his uh, thinking process during that time, even though God all this time had been his protector. Every time he had been in danger of being killed, God had protected him. God had been his refuge. But now he's discouraged and he's afraid. He's just worn out. And it's sad. It's sad when believers, it's sad when, when Christians feel like their only option is to run to the world for protection or safety. That, that's a sad place to be in because we know that God is truly our protector. We know that God is our strength, that God is our shield. God, in fact, even gives us wisdom so we can make wise decisions that would keep us safe, that would help to prolong our lives, all because of God's protecting wisdom. And in verse 2, it says, Then David arose, and he went over with the 600 men who were with him to Achish, the son of Maok, king of Gath. And so David went back to this king. He went back to Achish, this Philistine king. And I said went back because this is the second time he ran away from Saul and tried to find safety in Philistine territory. The second time he had come before the king of the Philistines. And if you don't remember, I'll remind you of the fact that the first time that he came before the king of Gath, that he was alone and he was afraid of Achish. He was afraid of the king, of this Philistine king, so to speak. Afraid of him, terrified of him. To the point that he pretended to be crazy. But this time, David brought other people with him. This time, he brought 600 men and their families. And so, this time, David was, he was not looking out only for himself this time. It was not just him. And so that may seem unselfish by the way I, I posed that statement, by the way I said that. But if you think about the situation, uh, I just want to ask, was he really setting the best example for those who were following his lead? He was leading at least 600 people. These are just the men, not even counting their family, their wives and children. Was he setting the best example for them. And I would even say for us that before we make decisions, we need to ask ourselves, are we considering the example that we're setting for those that, that we're responsible for, those for whom we're responsible? Are, are, are we setting a good example for those who are following our lead? Before we make those decisions, we have to consider those things. We have to ask ourselves these questions. Are we setting a good example? How is this looking to these people who are looking up to me? For example, have we told the people for whom we're responsible or people that we're leading? Have we told them that, hey, God is our shield, that, that God is our protector, but then we're not acting like it? H have we told them that God is our guide, but we're not acting like it? 
Have we told them that we can go to God for anything, but then when when it's time for us to go to him about anything, about any trial, we don't do it. When we tell people that we we shouldn't fear anyone but God, are, are we living that out? So what kind of example are we setting for for those whom we're responsible or for those who are following our lead? What kind of example are we setting? And and so David dwelt with Achish at Gath, it tells us in verse 3. And it says, he and his men, each man with this household, each man with his family were with him. And David with his two wives, Ahinoam the Jezreelitess and Abigail the the Carmelitess, Nabal's widow. And it was told Saul that David had fled to Gath. And so he sought him no more. He stopped hunting David, at least for now. Maybe not in his heart, but, but he physically stopped hunting him. And so despite Saul's promise to not harm David anymore, because Saul did make that promise, we see, of course, that that's, that, that wasn't true. Because the only reason he stopped trying to hunt for David is not because he wanted to keep his word to David, but he stopped hunting him, at least, you know, by his actions here in this example, in this scripture, in this text. The the only reason he stopped hunting for him is because he fled to Gath, because David fled to Philistine territory, the enemy's territory. And so either Saul was afraid to go through Philistine territory to, to hunt for David, or Saul was okay or satisfied with David being out of the picture. Oh, I can't kill him. You know, I may not have been able to wring his neck with these hands or, or stab David, he may have thought, but at least he's out of the picture. Maybe that was the thought process. You know, I like to transition this to our spiritual enemy. As we think of that point, as we think of the point that maybe Saul was okay with David being out of the picture because David was a threat to the throne. And so the spiritual enemy, the devil, of course, he would love for people who are a threat to his agenda to be removed out of the picture. In other words, he would love, the devil would love for Christians, Bible-believing Christians. We have to say that these days, Bible-believing Christians, born-again Christians. He would love for us to be removed out of the way because we are a threat to his agenda. Anybody who's a threat. And, and there's some, something I want to share with you about, about fathers. And what I'm about to share with you doesn't necessarily covers just Christian fathers, but just fathers in general. Because God set up the family a certain way. In regard to marriage, he, he set it up to where there'll be one genetic male and one genetic female getting married and stand together for a lifetime. And then when they have children, for them to raise the children together and teaching those children the word of God. But there's, again, something I want to share with you about fathers because the fathers are supposed to be the head of the home. See, there's this, there's this quote that I found, and, I've, and, and I remembered this from the past, but I wanted to see if it was up to date. I, I wanted to make sure I had my infor, information correct. And so I went to www.fatherhood.org. I went to that website. Again, www.fatherhood.org. That's the source. And so I'm going to quote something from their website in regard to fathers. Because remember, we're talking about people that Satan, the spiritual enemy, would like to remove because they're a threat to his agenda. Remember, we're, we're thinking along those lines. Well, here's the quote. It says, according to the U.S. Census Bureau, 18.4 million children, one in four, live without a biological step or adoptive father in the home. Consequently, there is a father factor in nearly all social ills facing America today. This is talking about America. 
It says that research shows when a child is raised in a father-absent home, he or she is affected in the following ways. First of all, according to the status says, they have a four times greater risk of poverty. They are seven times more likely to become pregnant as a teen. They are more likely to have behavioral problems. They are more likely to face abuse and neglect. And then regarding the the mom-child health, um, there is a two times greater risk of infant mortality. But then getting back to the children in these fatherless homes, it says they are more likely to abuse drugs and alcohol. They are more likely to go to prison. They are two times more likely to suffer obesity. They are more likely to commit crime. They are two times more likely to drop out of high school. So it was just based on that. And of course, this is not covering all Christians' homes, of course, but but you can see God's wisdom in setting up the family the way he did with, with of course, two parent homes and the father being the head. And of course, um, you know, there's many single parents who are doing a wonderful job by the grace of God. So that's not a knock on you. These, these are just stats here. And so praise God for you who who've been raising children on your own and have been doing a great job all because of God's strength and empowering. But but the point I want to make is that the enemy will love for the father to not be in the home because they are a threat to him. You know, just like King Saul, he was so happy to have David out of Israel. He was okay with that. But then I want to be more inclusive and include the women here because I'm going to talk more about Christians now. And so we talked about the fathers who can, of course, fathers can only be male, vice versa. And so now we're going to talk about all Christians being a threat. And so, of course, that would include women, women believers. You see, the enemy, the same spiritual enemy would love for Christians to be out of the picture. And before I get to my next point and elaborate on that, I do want to share the following scripture in 2 Thessalonians 2. Verses 7 and 8, it says, For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. So there's a little prophecy there, but then it also goes along with this point of how the enemy would love for people who are a threat to him to be moved out of the way. And and in this case, we're talking about Christians. Well, Pastor Durrell, what does it say Christians in those verses in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 7 and 8, where it says, he who now restrains would do so until he is taken out of the way. It is referring to the restraining ministry of the Holy Spirit in the church. We, we talked about how only believers, people who repent and put their faith in Christ, only, only believers have the Holy Spirit indwelling in them. We have the Holy Spirit indwelling us. We have the Spirit of Christ in us, the Spirit of God in us. Those are some different terms that are used in the Bible to talk about the Holy Spirit. And, and so born again, Holy Spirit indwelt believers, we are the ones because of the restraining ministry of the Holy Spirit in us and through us, we, we, we get in the way of full-fledged evil coming forth. And so when they want to pass evil laws, it's the Christians who are speaking up, the Bible-believing Christians who are speaking up. It's the Bible-believing Christians who are voting against things that are non-biblical, Oh, it's the Bible-believing Christians who are praying against evil. And so evil, of course, we see a lot of evil in our country. We see a lot of evil in the world, but it would be way more prevalent if it were not for the restraining ministry of the Holy Spirit in the church. Remember, we are called light and salt, and it's not because we are light and salt 
on our own. It's because of the Holy Spirit in us and through us. But one day that restraining ministry of the Holy Spirit that and when I talk about that restraining ministry, I'm I'm meaning he's holding back evil from from coming out as full as it could be. So in other words, it's not as bad as it's going to get because of the restraining ministry of the Holy Spirit. Once again, that is in the church. And one day, of course, the enemy will get his desire because that because he who now restrains that restraining ministry, the Holy Spirit will be lifted. When is that going to happen? That's going to happen at the time of the rapture. When the Holy Spirit indwelt believers will meet the Lord in the air and will forever be with the Lord. In fact, it says here, according to this, that we won't even know who the Antichrist is. That is the lawless one in verse eight. We won't even believers. We won't even know who he is. So stop looking. Because it says he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then and then that's time order. Then the lawless one will be revealed. Then the Antichrist will be revealed. When we're taken out of the way, when that restraining ministry of the Holy Spirit is lifted. That doesn't mean that the that the presence of the Holy Spirit won't be here because he's omnipresent. But I'm talking about the specific restraining ministry to hold back evil from coming out full fledged. That will be lifted. And then you're going to see that evil just overflow during that tribulation period. It's a seven-year tribulation period that's yet future. And, of course, it comes after the rapture. And the tribulation period technically begins when the Antichrist signs the agreement with the Jews. And then you count seven years from there. And then it's the second coming when Jesus actually touches down. But all that to say is that the enemy, yes, he'll get his wish. We're going to be moved out the way, but we'll also get our wish because we're looking forward to the rapture. Amen. And verse five, it says, then David said to Achish, if I have now found favor in your eyes, let them give me a place in some town in the country that I may dwell there. For why should your servant dwell in the royal city with you? And so Achish gave him Ziklag that day. Therefore, Ziklag has belonged to the kings of Judah to this day. Now, the time that David dwelt in the country of the Philistines was one full year and four months. I love how specific the Bible is. In verse eight, and David and his men went up and raided. They invaded, in other words, the the Geshurites, the Gerzites and the Amalekites. For those nations were the inhabitants of the land from of old. As you go to Shur, even as far as the land of Egypt or in the direction of the land of Egypt. And whenever David attacked the land, he left neither man nor woman alive, but took away the sheep, the oxen, the donkeys, the camels and the clothing, which is the apparel. And and he returned and he came to Achish, that king of Gath. And then Achish would say, where have you made a raid today? And David would say, against the southern area of Judah or against the southern area of the Jeramielites. And these, of course, were the descendants of Jeramiel, Judah's great-grandson. Or he would say, I I raided or I went against, invaded the southern area of the Kenites. And the Kenites, by the way, was the tribe from which Moses' father-in-law was a member. And, And so David, in verse 11, would save neither man nor woman alive to bring news to Gath saying he will leave none of them alive so that they won't come back saying lest they should inform on us saying thus David did. And thus was David's behavior all the time that he dwelt in the territory or country of the Philistines. And so in these scriptures in verses five through 11, Achish gave David the city of Ziklag to stay in. That's the city he gave him to dwell in. And Ziklag, by the way, is listed as one of the cities um, in the tribe of Judah's territory. 
And it was also one of the cities in the tribe of Simeon's territory. And you can reference that in Joshua chapter 15, verse 31, and also in Joshua chapter 19, verse 5. And so you would have Simeon's territory, if if you look at a Bible map, Simeon's territory that was allotted to him was actually within the territory of Judah, which is in southern Israel. And and so that's that's why Ziklag was listed um, as cities in both Judah's territory and Simeon's territory. But then during this time, because you're probably wondering, well, well, what's up with this? Isn't it, you know, doesn't it already belong to, to Israel? Why is, you know, this king given this territory to David? Well, that's because during this time, during the time that King Saul was reigning over Israel, Ziklag, of course, was controlled by the Philistines. So, you know, that all wraps that up. And so at this point, when, when he was in Ziklag, he was far away enough from Achish that, that Achish really didn't know what he was doing. The only way that um, Achish would know what David was doing as he would make those raids was that David would come to him in Gath and tell him what was going on, what lands he had raided. But according to the scriptures, if you've been paying attention, if you've been reading closely, David was actually raiding the lands that were really not inhabited by Israelites. He was really raiding you know, the Geshurites, the Gerzites, and the Malachites, but he made it seem as though he were raiding some of the land of the people that he's related to. And so these lands, these people he raided were basically heathens. These were not God's chosen people. These were people that were supposed to have been defeated as the Israelites were conquering the land, as God told them to conquer it. God gave it to them, being the, the land being the land of Canaan, which we call the promised land, which we call Israel today. But yeah, once again, David, David here, he was, he was being deceitful. He wasn't being upfront because, yes, he made it seem that I'm raiding my own people, the people that I'm related to. And then he would even go the extra mile of covering up what he was doing by killing all of the witnesses, all of the men and women, so they wouldn't tell Achish where he really was and what he was really doing, that he's really not defeating and and, and killing off people related to him, people in the land of Israel, that he's really killing us off. And so he will wipe out all the witnesses. He was being deceptive. He was pretending And if you have to deceive someone, if you have to pretend, now I'm talking to all of us now, if we have to be, uh, uh, have this pretense about us to be a certain way in order to please another person, in order to please an achish, then maybe you shouldn't be in that relationship. If you don't feel comfortable in being the person God called you to be, and I'm talking to us as believers, then once again, maybe you shouldn't be in that relationship. So, so if they don't want to be around you because you love Jesus, if they don't want to be around you because you love the Bible and, and you talk about the Bible, your, your favorite scriptures all the time, which you read while you were having breakfast, which you, which you read while you were drinking coffee or tea, what you read with your spouse and you want to share it with somebody. If they don't want to be around you because you do those things, because you speak the truth, they don't want to be around you because you, you, you tell people the truth about sin. In other words, you agree with God about sin. They don't want to be around you. Don't, don't, don't pretend to, to be who you're not as a Bible-believing Christian so you can fit in. Because the truth of the matter is, it's, it's their loss and it's not yours. And, and I don't mean that, that in a conceited way. But, but some of us, we, we just take it too hard when people don't want to hang around us because we're Bible-believing, born-again Christians. And we're not ashamed of that. 
And so we take it too hard because of that, and they don't want to be around us. So some of us will try to pretend that, that we're cool, that we like the same stuff that they like. Then you get home and you, you know, now you feel bad. Now you're convicted by the Holy Spirit. Now you got to repent because you, you, you played the hypocrite just so you can keep that friend, just so you can keep that relationship. Avoid the deception, avoid, uh, avoid the pretense just to please people. And in verse 12, it says, so Achish believed David saying, he has made his people Israel utterly abhor him or detest him. Therefore, he will be my servant forever. And so it's clear that Achish bought into David's deception. He, he bought into it to the point that he believed that David had actually burned the bridge with his own people. And so he thought, he thought that, oh, he burned the bridge with his people. He's been attacking them. He's been raiding them. He's been in their land doing all this stuff. So he thought that, oh, he's going to be my servant forever, this warrior. Oh, he's going to be on my side. And on top of that, I'm going to get his 600 men. They're going to serve me. David is going to serve me forever. And I would just say to us in this room, to us who are listening or watching Online, I would say be careful of using the enemy's resources because he always has some ulterior motives. Because you may be looking for another way to get your needs met. You may be trying, for example, to find safety like David was trying to find safety from this man who was trying to kill him. You may be trying to add to your bank account and and you've been praying for God to help you financially and, and things just don't seem to be coming together financially. So you may be looking for that type of need to be met or you may be looking for love. Unfortunately, some people, they look for love in, in the wrong places. You may be looking for those things. That may be your motive. These may be things that, that you're looking for, but, but you're going to the enemy. And some of you doing it, uh, you know, without being aware of that, using the enemy's resources instead of sticking to the word of God, instead of going to the Lord in prayer and waiting upon the Lord. You know, the Lord will not withhold any good thing from his children. If, if, if the Lord knows that it's good for us, he's not going to withhold it from us. But some of us go to other methods, other uh, resources and, you know, things like that to try to get our needs met, to try to have some type of desire filled. And so that's what's in our minds. That's, that's what some of us are trying to do. But the enemy has a different motive. Oh, he's looking to use you as one of his servants. Not saying you're going to be demon possessed or anything, but he wants to destroy your testimony. He wants you, even not being aware of it, to, to promote the things that are of him. And so watch where you're going for those things that you need, for those things that you desire. Because the enemy, of course, is he's looking for something else. He's he's trying to lock you in. He's trying to bring you down. He has no good intentions for you. Just like this Achish and, and David. David's looking for safety, but Achish is looking for this warrior, this super warrior to, to be his servant. And speaking of David, and, and as we've looked at what's been going on with his life, we've, we, we've seen that as he tried to or has been escaping or running away from Saul, we've, we've seen him hide in caves. We've seen him hide in the wilderness. We've seen David hide in mountains just to get away from King Saul, just so he can protect his life. But this time, of course, we, we see that he found refuge in the enemy's territory. These enemies that that the Israelites always fought against, these Philistines. And so essentially, just to tie it in with our title, we we see David 
living away from home. And like David, we believers are living away from home. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 11, you'll see that the topic is faith. And the writer, of course, begins to name people in the Bible who demonstrated this great faith. And he begins to, to, to name people that you find in, our, in the Old Testament that we read today. And after naming some of these people, the writer writes the following. The writer says that, that these all died in faith. Not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, we are assured of them, embrace them, and confess that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. I want you to focus on that last part, that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Because as pilgrims on the earth, it suggests that the earth was not their permanent residence. When it talks about these heroes of the faith in Hebrews 11, these people who are in the hall of faith, so to speak, the the earth was not their permanent residence. They knew that. They knew that they were but pilgrims, that it was just a temporary thing that they were just passing through or through. And this is true for us as well because our citizenship is in heaven, the scriptures tell us in Philippians 3.20. Our citizenship is in heaven. And I'm speaking to us as believers. We put our faith in Christ. We put our trust in Christ. We're saved by grace through faith, the scriptures tell us. We're saved. We're, we're going to heaven. We're citizens of heaven. But at this time, Guess what? We are, of course, we are away from home. At this time, we are away from heaven. And I remember as parents, my wife and I, when we were away from home, literally, and going to someone's house or going to a store, we would would have this talk sometimes with our children. Don't go in there touching anything. Don't, don't, don't go in there copying this person. If, if they listen to this, you, you don't. You leave the room. You don't mimic what other people are doing because we taught you this way so you don't copy someone. So we would go down and, you know, and lecture, and, and most of the time it was me doing the lecturing. And that was probably worse than a spanking for my children, listening to me, listening to me talk. And then my wife would tell me on the side, you know, you repeated yourself like three times and so forth. But, but I, we wanted them to get the point. So we would tell them how to behave when we were away from home. And so right now, we as believers, of course, are away from home. We're not in eternity yet. We're, we're not in heaven yet, although we're citizens of heaven. That's our home. But, but as Christians, of course, there is a way for us to behave while we are away from our eternal home. So how should we as believers behave when we are away from home. And so these points, of course, are going to be taken from the text uh, that, that we read tonight. And one way we should behave while we are away from home, from, from heaven, while we're not in heaven yet, and, and, and we're still here on this earth, one thing we should not do, of course, is we should not try to find solutions in this world system. Because David tried to find a solution on his own. In fact, he was so convinced. He said, there is nothing better for me than I should speedily escape to the land of the Philistines. He determined for himself what was the best thing for him as far as keeping him safe. And so that's the first point I want to share with you as far as how we should as Christians behave while we are not in heaven, while we're still pilgrims. Don't find solutions in this world system. Don't try to, but also don't align yourself with the world. See, David went to the land of of the Philistines and he was aligning himself with Achish, the king of Gath. And when I talk about don't align yourself with the world, I mean those who are a part of this world system. And that's because this world system is influenced by Satan and it has no part with God. It is not aligned with God and his ways. But but also point number three, as far as how we should behave, 
away from home is don't pretend to be aligned with the world. Don't even pretend to be. That, that's called, once again, being a hypocrite. You know you don't feel like it, but yet and still you go with your coworkers, for example, to places that you know you, you shouldn't be in. Just because you want to fit in. Just because at your job they said, oh, you have to be a team player. And because you want that promotion. Because you don't want to be seen in a negative light in the workplace. You don't want to make it seem that you're not a team player. You're going to go to places that your other coworkers are going to. Even though you know you shouldn't be there. In fact, I wouldn't even. I remember a time when I was at my old job. I won't even name it. I wouldn't, get, I wouldn't even get invited I wouldn't even get invited to the happy hour. And I was happy about that. And that's because they already knew what type of state. And I didn't walk around with my Bible at work, the, the biggest Bible in my house. I didn't walk around like that. You know, I didn't have a sign on my, I didn't have a big cross on my head. So everybody, you know, but, but, you know, every now and then I'll have opportunities to, to talk to them about certain topics, Bible related or Things that come up in the world and they sometimes think that I'm going to be on their side. And so they bring up the topic. And then I say, well, actually, this is how I believe about this. This is what the Bible says. You know, and, and, and they didn't, you know, some of them were kind of turned off by it, but they kept talking to me. But I didn't go around with a big sign. And I did have a devotion book on my desk, but it, like I said, it wasn't super big and I didn't have a sign pointing to it. Look at me. I have a, you know, devotional book on my desk. I, I didn't do all that. But they knew my stance. They knew that I was a believer. And so they wouldn't even ask me to go. And even if they did, I wouldn't go. And they knew that. So don't even pretend to be aligned with the world. But also, and this is something positive that we take from what David did. Don't fight against your family. That is, of course, while we are away from home, don't fight against God's people, the church. The bride of Christ. And we see that here in the lesson. David didn't fight against his own people, but he was fighting against the enemies of Israel. Because when you really think about it, how can we tell people who are in the world? How how can we tell people who are of the world, I should say, how to behave? Oh, you guys shouldn't do this. You guys shouldn't talk like that. How can we tell them how to behave, how to speak or, or, or whatever when we're not setting a good example ourselves? When we're fighting each other, when there's division in the church. Uh, how can we tell the world that, oh, you guys need to love each other? You know, John thirteen thirty five, and this is Jesus speaking, and many of you are familiar with this. He says, by this will all know that you are my disciples, my followers, my pupils or students. If you have love... For one another. Well, people should see that. People should see that. You know, people talk about unity and all this stuff and peace, and they throw these words out all the time, not not realizing that you can only have true peace by having a relationship with Jesus, Uh, that you can only have true unity with with people who are like-minded. You know, I don't want to have, you know, not, not saying that I'm not going to be peaceable because it says as much as lies within us, be at peace with all men, live at peace with all men. But, but I can't walk step in step, hand in hand with somebody who is promote, who's promoting things that are totally divergent from the scriptures. So I don't want unity with that. But as believers, there should be unity, especially when it comes to the essentials of the faith. There should be unity. We shouldn't be talking about unity in any other way. There is no other way to have true unity but in Christ. In fact, before Jesus left this earth, before he was crucified, I believe it's in John chapter 17, as he prayed to the Father, he prayed to, as he prayed to the Father, he prayed for the unity of the church. Father, I pray that they would be one just as we are one. Does that sound familiar? But, but how can we promote that? If, if, how can we promote love in these things if, if we're not setting a good example? And so once again, that's one positive thing we can take from David because he did not fight against the Israelites, God's chosen people. But 
There's a fifth point I want to share with you about, about this topic of how to behave while we're away from home is that we need to be fighting against the real enemy. And we know who that is. That's Satan and, of course, his demons. Because David, to his credit, he was still fighting against the enemies of Israel. He was still doing that. And so we have to fight against spiritual enemy. We're in spiritual warfare. How do we fight? We don't fight on our own, in our own strength, in our own power, but through the word of God and by prayer. And so you have this saying that many of you are familiar with, that, that, that we are to live in the world, but not to be of the world. We shouldn't be a part of this world system. And no, I know some of you, while you are away from home, while you are away from heaven, I know, I know many of us are going to feel awkward. Because we're not going to fit in. You're not supposed to fit in. You're supposed to stand out. That's why you're supposed to be a light and salt. You're supposed to stand out. Oh, while we are away from home, while we are away from, uh, from heaven, yes, we're going to have those times of loneliness. We're, going to, we're not going to have everybody in the workplace or at school or in, in our at college or whatever. We're not going to have people wanting to eat with us wanting to be seen with us in public. So yes, while you are away from home and you are living life as a pilgrim, you're going to feel lonely at times. Oh, yes, the Christian walk could be lonely, especially when you're at work, sometimes even in your community. Oh, while you are away from home, some of you may even feel envious of people, envious of people who are not Christians, all because it seems like they got it all together. Well, I pray to the Lord. I read my Bible. I I go to church on Sundays and Wednesdays. I go to men's and women's Bible study. I do all of these things. I'm serving, but yet and still this person doesn't even proclaim Christ. They don't even know who Jesus is, and yet they are way more blessed than I am. And so some Christians, while they are away from home, living this life as pilgrims, could even feel this envy for people who are not believers. And some of you, while you live in this world as pilgrims away from home, I know this is going to get a lot of people. And, and many of us have probably been in this place, but, but some of you have been trying to identify yourself based on worldly standards. You're a pilgrim but you're acting like your main citizenship is here. And so you're trying to find your identity here. The worship team takes the stage. You're, you're trying to base your identity on how popular you are. How many people invite you to their functions? How many people text you throughout the day? Uh, I bought this cell phone. I'm paying this $300 bill every single month and only two people text me all week. And so you're trying to identify your identity and and how popular you are, basing it on worldly standards, on on your finances. Even some people try to base their identity upon their attractiveness. Your pilgrims. That that's, this is not where we find our identity. And there's one more point, the final thought that I want to leave with you. It says, remember, remember this. Remember who you are, whose you are, and where your true home is. As you are living away from your true home, As pilgrims here, remember who you are, that is, who you are in Christ. You're a child of God. You're you're forgiven. You are free. You are not condemned. You, You are part of that royal priesthood. You belong to the king of kings. You belong to the God of the universe. And then you're going to spend eternity with him. Remember this while you're living away from home. And at this time, we're going to have...
communion. But before we partake of communion, I just, as usual, you know, say a few things. Of course, when we partake of communion, the bread or the cracker represents the body of Christ. And the juice represents the blood of Christ. And that blood, of course, is is speaking of Christ's blood that was shed on the cross. And so it's telling us that his life was poured out from him because the Bible tells us that the life of the flesh is in the blood, which science, I don't know how long ago, but they finally caught up with that because they used to try to bleed people out so they can not be sick anymore of whatever ailment it was. But they finally figured out, caught up to the Bible, that the life of the flesh is in the blood. But, but Jesus' life was being poured out has been poured out. And so when we partake of communion, we do that in remembrance of him. Never forget the sacrifice. Never forget that body that was abused and beaten and bludgeoned and, you know, just humiliated for us. Never forget that holy blood that was shed, that washed away our sins, makes us whiter than snow. The only payment for our sins, the only payment for our sins that, that has been accepted by the Father. Pastor Darrell, how do you know that the Father accepted that sacrifice? The resurrection. The resurrection is the receipt that says, I have accepted this payment that my son made on that cross. And so we, as we partake of communion, we do that in remembrance of him. We do it with a heart of gratitude. We do it with a heart of reverence. We don't take it lightly. And we also use this as a time of examination, asking the Lord to show us if there's any sin that we need to confess to him. And of course, you know, um, you know, he'll forgive us of that sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, as it says in 1 John 1, 9. You know, but so I'm going to pray. And then as you feel led, um, can, you know, get the elements from the front or the back, take them back to your seats. You can pray, you know, just you and the Lord, or you can include your spouse in that and partake on your own. But I'm going to pray, and then, you know, I'm going to step down from the stage for the rest of the night. So, but we will be available for prayer. Father God, we thank you for this time. We thank you that our identity is in Christ. We thank you that you have accepted us in the beloved Jesus. We, we thank you, Lord, that that we do have a home that's away from here, Lord. That this is as bad as it's going to get for us. And Lord, we do want more people to join us in heaven and become citizens of heaven. So we pray that you would use us this week to share the gospel with somebody. That you use us this week to minister to someone. And I pray that you would bless my brothers and sisters um, as they... Um, partake of, of communion and that you bless the elements and that you'll be glorified at this time. And then, Lord, we do pray that you'll watch over everyone as they leave this place, but not your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this teaching from God's Word. If you have any questions, would like to request prayer, or want more information about our church and how you can experience the love and hope of Jesus Christ in your life, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org.